Welcome to Meet an African Pastor podcast. My name is Anthony Seitzma, and in this podcast, I interview different African pastors so that people around the world can hear about what their lives are like and pray for them. And most importantly, this gives all of us an opportunity to learn from the African church. Thank you for listening. Welcome, Dennis. It's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, for those of you listening, Dennis Milanzi is a partner of Resonate, so I get to work with him sometimes. And Dennis, I'm grateful to have you on the podcast to get to learn about your ministry, about the organization you work with. And then we have an interesting topic. We're going to look at training of people in the church, but not specifically pastors, but looking at training lay people, just church members, how can we mobilize church members and train them so that they also can be a vital part of the mission and the ministry that God is doing? So, Dennis, you're welcome. Please share with us to begin who you are, where you're located. Tell us about your family. Tell us about your church. Thank you so much, Anton. Um, as indicated, I'm uh... Dennis Milanzi, and uh, I'm an Anglican priest based in Zambia. I'm a canon of the cathedral in the Anglican Diocese of Eastern Zambia. Currently, I'm based in Kitwe on the Copper Belt province of Zambia, which is a mining province. And I'm here on secondment by the Anglican Church through the Diocese of Eastern Zambia to save as the executive director of theological education by extension in Zambia, TEEZ. I am married to Peggy um, Tale, um, and God has blessed us with uh, four children, two boys and two girls, and uh, many adopted children along the way. Uh, my wife, uh, Peggy is a university lecturer at the Kwame Nkrumah University in Kabwe. And um, we've been married for 24 years. And uh, this year is my 25th year in ministry as a pastor. And so I come to tease as a servant of the so many denominations that are affiliated to TEAS. And uh, TEAS is uh, an ecumenical ministry of 10 member churches with the newest member joining TEAS last year in August at the General Council. So I think that's uh, about me. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, before we get more into TEAS, um, you mentioned adopting children. I'm just curious, uh, were those planned adoptions or was it that you had to take in children from family members who passed away um, or they were children of the community that needed help? Uh, these children are in two categories. They are children from the community that we've come across over the years of ministry and by virtue of their vulnerability we have had to commit ourselves as a family to be of help to them 
particularly through uh, providing education support because we realize that uh, as an adage says, education is an equalizer, uh, that these children would only become self-sustaining once they attain an education uh, for themselves so that they're able to keep each other and their siblings. Secondly, we've adopted children from families, both uh, biological and extended families, again, based on the levels of need. So I think that's how we, we have adopted a number of, 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 of children and young people that have gone through our hands over the years. Uh, it's beautiful to hear about. Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, before we get back to Tease, uh, I wanted to also ask, how did you feel called to ministry? How did that come about? Well, um, like most uh, African stories about family life, I was born in a Christian family. My grandparents were devout Christians within the Anglican church and so was my mother. My great grandfather was an evangelist in the Anglican church during the time of the white missionaries uh, through the university missions to Central Africa where he served in different parts of Eastern province until he retired in 1980 so i had the privilege to 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 see my great grandfather who was um, an evangelist or a catechist in the anglican church in the uh 50s 60s up to the 70s um and so having been born in that kind of a family setup <clears throat> i began to follow the steps of my uh, grandparents and my parents. And eventually at the age of 11, closer to 12 in 1983, I was baptized and I got confirmed into the church. And so along the way, I had an opportunity at a very, very early age to begin by then a common way of learning about the Bible through the Bible correspondence courses. And I happened to have done trainings as early as, I think when I was in grade five, I started with every home crusade. Uh, I did some trainings with Lifeline I did some trainings with ML Bible Correspondence School. I did some training with the Baptist, uh, Baptist Bible Way Correspondence College. And so along the way that began to shape my, I think my, my instinct in terms of ministry, I became committed at an early age, but uh, when I reached uh, secondary school, I joined the scripture union. And uh, I think I, I, 
I looked at ministry different. I know I was baptized in the church, I was confirmed. But I think having a deeper relationship with the Lord had not yet reached its, uh, its, its expected levels. And so by aligning myself with the scripture union, I gave my life to the Lord and became an active member of the scripture union from um, uh, my first year in secondary school up to the time that I moved to boarding school, continued with the scripture union. And um, at that time, I think I was undecided. One leg was pushing me towards becoming a journalist. The other one was still reminding me about the core. So when I reached in grade 12 in my final year in high school, I think I had to shelve the idea of pursuing ministry and instead I got interested in going to university to go and pursue mass communication and journalism. So when I completed school along the way, I think one day when we went out for prayer and fasting in the mountains, I was an active member and a leader in the Anglican Youth Fellowship something just spoke to me. I think that uh, uh, my decision to take journalism was not the best thing. And so I lost interest. But interestingly, at that same time, I had an offer to go to University of Zambia to go and pursue uh, journalism and mass communication on a scholarship which I turned down. And that was quite strange because I was coming from a humble background, a vulnerable child in terms of financial capacity to attend university education. But I did away with that, that great opportunity that had come. And so in 1994, on the 11th of June, which in the Anglican Christian calendar is a patron saint's day for St. Barnabas, my bishop came to our local church in Chipata and preached. And on that day, I decided I needed to go for ministry full time. So I spoke with the bishop after the church service and the bishop was willing to lead me through that process of reflection, discerning about the vocation for a period of one year. At that time, I had uh, started some work as um, an accounts clerk with an Indian feeding station. And so along the way, in August of 1995, I resigned from that Indian job and went for ministry in September 1995 at the Anglican Seminary of St. John the Evangelist here in Kitwe, which is just my, currently that's my neighboring uh, community. My house is a neighbor to the chapel of St. John's the Evangelist Anglican Seminary. So I went for studies for three years in 1995, September, and I came 
out of seminary on the 13th of June, 1998, having attained my diploma in theological studies uh, offered by the St. John's Seminary and the diploma in religious studies with the University of Cambridge. And on the 5th of July, 1998, I was made a deacon, which is uh, a first stage for ordination. So as a deacon, I was a probationer minister in the church to assess my suitability for ordination. And on the 1st of August in 1999, I was ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church. So that's how my calling uh, came about uh, in, in my ministry. Thank you very much for sharing that story. It's always always helpful to hear how God has worked in people's lives to lead them and and guide them. And I'm also thinking your your study of journalism for the the time that you did probably has been helpful as you lead Tees as an organization. You're able to articulate well what's happening to all the different denominations and share what God is doing so that they can continue to work together well. Uh, so that's really good. Um, let, let's talk more about T's now, your current work. Um, that uh, it, maybe share what what T's does. Um, what are some of its programs? What are some of its activities? Thank you so much. Um, Theological Education by Extension in Zambia, uh, whose acronym is T's, is an ecumenical ministry of 10 denominations that are spread throughout Zambia. It was initially founded in 1979 by two denominations, that is the Anglican Church and the United Church of Zambia. And so this year marks 44 years of our existence. So it is, as an ecumenical institution was founded on the principle to bridge the gap of leadership in the church between the ordained pastors and the laity. The concept of T's was drawn from South America in Guatemala and Paraguay, where the Presbyterian church experienced a rapid growth of the church, but with limited pastors that were formally trained. So in order to bridge that gap of uh, human resource of pastors and ministers in the church, the concept of theological education by extension was born. At that time, some of our, some of the pastors from Africa and Zambia in particular, an Anglican priest and a Methodist priest, Reverend, who was serving as a missionary with the United Church of Zambia, had an opportunity to interact at that particular uh, conference. And so the concept was brought to Zambia. But of course, the TEE concept 
in Africa came in the 1960s with Ethiopia becoming the first country to adopt the model by the brethren in Christ. So when it came to Zambia, it was formed with a vision drawn from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 to prepare all God's people for the work of Christian service. And its mission is to equip Christians with relevant theological and social development tools and knowledge through non-residential theological and community development training for effective participation and service for a vibrant health church and society. And so we see that from the mission of TEAS that our whole essence is to make sure that we provide the relevant theological. Having uh, indicated the mission statement is that TEAS uh, is further um, um, is further developed its acronyms of the core values which are ARCs. And uh, these acronyms stand for accountability, creativity, transparency, and sustainability. So we make sure that we are accountable to God and to the people that support our work but also that in our ministry, we become as creative as possible because we cannot continue to do the routine and expect different results. And we try as much as possible to be transparent and uh, our transparency can be seen in terms of um, giving feedback, providing reports of our work each year that comes. And we also make sure that in all that we do, we value sustainability. And uh, part of the sustainability is the local financial uh, sustainability projects that we run. We run a, a, lodge, a lodge which has an 18 bed capacity, which provides also part of the resources towards this ministry as part of our local revenue. Now, in terms of our programs, theological education by extension in Zambia, I think has gone through a process of transition. I joined TEAS on the 1st of February, 2017, and reported on the 13th of February, 2017. And since then, the, the institution has gone through a process of transitioning, doing some overhaul in the way ministry was done. And that transition was formally endorsed in 2019. So for TEAS, 2019 marked the beginning of what we call innovation, transition and transformation. This meant that TIS began a process of organizational reflection, learning and planning. And as a result, we had to revise our strategies and developed what we call our theory of change. And since 
1979 when TIS was formed, I think it has evolved under different leadership with an initial two programs that we are running, which was tutors and basic courses. Today, TIS runs programs in 12 different program brands that embraces a variety of trainings that are theological in nature and also community development oriented in nature. And we are mindful that TIS was born to help bridge the challenge of inadequate trained pastors by training the laity. And this remains our passion and drive us TIS. So we should understand it from that way that um, uh, even when ministry for TIS has evolved, there are also issues that have affected the ministry and these are mostly social challenges which need to be addressed. And TIS comes in hand in terms of providing capacity building, awareness raising and empowerment. Hence, in our current implementation strategy, we have created what we call the church social programs. Now, in looking at our theory of change, we need to understand that this uh, ministry is congregational based, but also community project based and embraces the three theories of change. The first one of the theory of change is to sustainably change churches. So in all the work that we do as TIS, primarily we address the capacity development needs of local churches so that they become more effective, transformative and adaptive to the prevailing trends of doing ministry, especially through Christian education at grassroots level. So what, what we simply do is through our trainings, we are able to impart knowledge and skills to laity and other church leaders to understand the di dynamics of ministry. Secondary, our theory of change looks at strengthening community social systems. We know that uh, members of the congregations of TIS come from the community. Even when they come to a place of worship, they have a community where they spend more time. And so, we believe that any social system that disadvantages those members of the church from the community affect also the life of the church. We have an example currently on the Copper Belt where I'm based that the mines are not doing very well and people are losing jobs. Some mines are closing. So when those mines close, our members lose a source of revenue. And when our members lose the source of revenue, the income, the offerings, the tithe for the local churches also are equally affected. So similarly, even in the rural communities, when they are poor farming system, because most of our farmers, about 61% of the population are predominantly small scale farmers. When the farming uh, policies and systems are poor, the harvest in turn also is bad and affects the financial and material support to the local churches. So it is 
in its programming under this theory of change supports community social intervention that transforms the social economic status of its beneficiaries. And we do this because scripture motivates us to do that. When you look at the Gospel of John in chapter 10, verse 10b, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and life in its fullness. So the fullness of life should look at the spiritual, moral, and the physical or social needs of, of, of the people of God. Our third uh, theory of change looks at integrating business opportunities. We know that TIS has for a long time heavily depended on handouts and grants from partners, mission partners, and local churches and overseas who have supported the work. But, uh, you know, with the economic challenges that of church members, especially at local level, and even at international level with the challenges of COVID-19, even mission partners have had challenges. So this has seen a reduction both in local financial support and also international financial support. So based on that kind of experience, TZ visions a business enterprise model as an alternative to increasing our local financing. So what we have done is that TZ has developed a concept of uh, design of developing a company. So we have a company uh, profile and the business uh, model that has been developed, the business proposal for a dream that we are going to name as theological enterprise and agribusiness cooperation, which is going to be the business conglomerate of theological education by extension in Zambia. Our success story, if we are to look at the story of change, when we link it to the model of Timothy leadership trainings that we have a lodge, which was almost dying. Two years ago, we revived it. And this time around, the lodge gives us at least 10% of, uh, of what it is raises each year. So that is a breakthrough. Now, with our focus, a fundamental change that has taken place in terms of our programs, TEAS has now embraced the three modes of programming, which is Christian education, church social programs, and business enterprise development. So all these are done to make sure that we promote the local ownership. And additionally, we are hoping that TIS can be able to make value addition to its work of ministry. Now, when you look at our programs, our programs are branded in different contexts. And these programs, especially that are social development in nature, they align themselves with the sustainable development goals. So our work in the field contributes one to the local church's life through congregation-based training that are implemented in different parts of Zambia. But our work also, especially in the area of social development, promotes our diaconia ministry through church social programs. And the whole idea is that we are also contributing to the sustainable development goals as a critical role of ourselves as a faith-based actor. So like last year, we were able to contribute in the sustainable development goals through sustainable development goal number one, number two, number four, number five, 
number 8, number 13, number 15, 16, and 17, which are no poverty, zero hunger, quality education, gender equality, decent work and economic growth, climate action, life on land, peace, justice, and strong institutions, and partnerships for the goal. Now, like I said, that our programs align themselves to three critical uh, categories of our thematic area. I can give you, Anton, just a highlight of our annual report for last year. Yeah, to maybe show... I still have uh, quite a number of questions for you, so maybe you can just share a couple highlights briefly and then, then I'll get to some of my questions. Thank you. For example, last year we trained 1,210 basic students and certified them. These are students that did programs in one of the program brand, which is basic and advanced courses. We also trained 51 inmates or prisoners as tutors in prison. This program falls under what we call the Church Capacity Transformation Ventures, CCTV. The basic student courses are courses that fall under a program which we, chair, we call the Church Capacity Development for Missions in Zambia. In terms of HIV intervention, we have a program called Decide HIV, which is discerning exceptional community initiatives for development empowerment, which is a ministry for HIV. And we supported 23 orphans and vulnerable children who received psychosocial support in schools. We also had 103 pastors and their spouses that were trained in financial empowerment skills to prepare themselves for life during ministry and after retirement through a program brand, which we call the Better Church. We trained 29 advanced students of T's. We trained 44 uh, master trainers in a program on financial inclusion for churches, which we call the Faith Empowerment. We trained 168 tutors and accredited them. We also trained 57 pastors and church leaders through the Langham preaching course in Congo Democratic Republic in the Pueto province, part of the Katanga province. We also trained pastors and elders, 27 of them as the faith change makers leaders. In terms of ecotheology, we trained 132 elders and members of the church as Wise Green Church ambassadors, and 262 students trained, some of them graduated in the Timothy Leadership Training Program. So this is the impact of our work and the results of our work just in last year. I think I'll stop here. Yeah, uh, thank for you your very patience. much. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of good work happening and a lot of different areas where you're looking at caring for the creation, you're looking at training pastors in theology, you're looking at 
helping people with financial management, just many different things. That's a lot of good work being done. Now, one of my one of my first questions is how you are doing this with so many different denominations. What I've seen often, uh, you know, in the whole world, but in in our context here in Africa, is that it's like every pastor and bishop and foreign missionary wants to create their own ministry or their own denomination or their own theological school. Uh, no one wants to, not know, you know, many people don't want to work with other denominations. They need their own denominational program or their own, their own ministry, their own school. And yet you have 10 denominations that are working together with you. How did that happen? And how, how do you keep that cooperation healthy? Uh, because I think that's quite unusual, and it's something that the rest of us may want to aspire to and follow your good example. Well, uh, indeed, Anton, um, managing 10 different doctrinal churches is not an easy thing. Along the way, there, there are challenges, but also there are opportunities. If I was to cite what happened, when I came to Tease in 2017, there were nine denominations. And the level of participation was, out of those nine, was about, I think, 15 to 20%. 80% of the members were not very active. So out of the nine that were there, there were only about, I think, two or three that were active members of T's. And one of the things that we realized was that because T's had become so rigid in the way of doing ministry, that as others felt there were no significant benefits of belonging. And one of the things that we did was to provide a platform for engagement. So as an office, we introduced what we call the T's uh, stakeholders in Davos. So whenever we traveled throughout the country to provide trainings, at the end of every training, TIS was able to put in financial resources to bring together pastors and elders and other interested uh, parties at each district level for an evening dinner that was paid by TIS at a local uh, guest house or lodge where we brought people together and we were able to showcase what we had started doing and then provided a platform for question and answers. So that gave an opportunity for people to understand what was happening and to see if there was a way in which they would come on board and support. So since 2018, the stakeholder indoors are part of our annual event. Wherever we go, in most places, 
we engage them and they provide the feedback and then together we make resolutions on how best we can we can go this has yielded positive results because currently i can tell you that out of the nine denominations i can comfortably say at least six or seven as at 2022 we are participating in our programs only two of them are inactive members additionally we have engaged the national leaders through our board the executive board of tees through the chair of the executive committee we have provided a platform for engagement where the board is able to engage with national leaders at their national headquarters so that we do not only meet them at the general councils at the management councils but we also engage them in their offices because at that point we are engaging them on a one to one we are able to share with them what are the strength of their participation and their weaknesses and the gaps that have been identified and together we work towards improving on those gaps thirdly by bringing in some innovation into tee through developing new program brands we have seen the enthusiasm from the members i can cite an example that some of the programs that have attracted members participation are programs like the wise green church on ecotheology ecojustice the faith empowerment which is a microcredit initiative from a biblical perspective and then the better church for pastors and spouses the timothy leadership training then the change faith change makers and they decide these new social programs have actually encouraged more people to participate the reason is that uh, the congregational based trainings are not offered free the member churches have to contribute a percentage of the overall cost fees and that is why our cost fees are highly subsidized because they have to cater even for the most vulnerable people to be trained so the social programs are offered to the member churches at no cost to the beneficiary this has to source for funding from partners both the uh both old new and prospective partners and once funding is accessed we use those funds now to implement the social programs with the local churches and that has acted as a motivation by many church leaders to still stick to tees because they are able to see new things every time happening in tees and uh, some church leaders have confessed that it's the first time after more than 30 years to see tees 
providing free courses. All they knew about TIS was that TIS was always asking for financial contribution to run some programs. So I think those are some of the things that have happened uh, in, the, in the recent past to motivate the denominations to participate. And that's why the 10th denomination joined in because they were attracted by what was happening after seeing what we've been doing in other parts of Zambia. So I think that's what I would say has motivated us to remain united because no denomination is willing to, to, to leave the organization now. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned some time back about uh, doctrines. I forget what you said, but how do you deal with the different doctrinal issues when you're working with different churches? Do you shy away from those more controversial discussions or you have a different way of handling them in the different curriculums that you use? Our curriculum is non-denominational. We provide Christian education that is Bible-centered, Bible-based. We don't teach denominationalism. Of course, we have a course where denominations may want to politicize their, their, their doctrinal issues. It's called uh, church administration and management and constitution. So that is the only course where individual denomination are able to bring to us their constitution and we use their constitution to design examinations to ascertain their level of ability on their own doctrines. But all the other questions are non-denominational aligned. And that is what keeps us together because no one comes to convert anyone. They all come to learn and be used as vessels in their local churches. Yeah. Okay, that sounds good. Um, let, let's get back to what you were saying about training of lay leaders, uh, church members. It's really common uh, for mission organizations um, and and denominations to focus on training pastors because we always hear that most of the pastors in Africa are not trained in any way, not formally, not informally, and so that's a big focus. It's a big focus of my own my own ministry um, of training church leaders, the, the the pastors. But you're saying that TEAS also has a big focus on training church members, lay leaders. Can you tell us more about that? Why is that so important uh, for us to all pay attention to? Well, yes. Um, I think in Africa generally, you uh, see that the ratios of a pastor to his church members is quite big. It is not easy for one pastor to to manage the ministry alone, they will easily burn out. And uh, TIS comes in to build a creative model where we focus on building hope, changing the way ministry is done, 
and transforming the participation of laity in the congregations. So what we are doing as TIS is to make sure that we support the work of pastors and we engage the pastors themselves to understand how they are managing. And some of them confess that it's a, it hasn't been easy to manage ministry alone. And so that gives us an opportunity in identifying the gaps that are there. And we use those gaps to be able to uh, engage with them and help them to develop a better system of doing ministry by embracing the gifts of lay people in the congregations. And those that have, uh, have managed to buy into the model have attested that, that this is really helping them. They can manage even to go on leave, knowing very well that things will still be run properly. In most cases, pastors don't want to take leave because they have a lot of fears. What will happen to the church? By the time I come back, I'll find things have been messed up. But in areas where TEAS has managed to provide training, we make sure that we provide trainings that bring, uh, bring what we call the three in main ingredients for TEE to be fruitful. One of them is what we call an obedient, strategic, and divisionary church. A church that is obedient, a church that is strategic, a church that has mission, that has a vision, should be able to disciple others, teach others to be disciples so that they can continue to pass on uh, the Christian missions. Secondly, we make sure that our lay training programs are good courses and programs that are relevant to the needs of the church. And thirdly, we make sure that our third main ingredient for a fruitful TE program is one which is well-organized, creative, and has an implemented operational plan. So the people that we train have proven that they have the skill and they have the ability to be trusted by the local pastors. And this has been done because for T's, we build our ministry to the laity on three pillars. And these pillars are one, individual study. We build the capacity on an individual to have an individual study in terms of reading, writing, studying, and preparing their own assignments on their own. So they have the discipline of independent reading. So that discipline is what motivates them even to have independent plans within their leadership role in the congregation. The second one is the group study, where we encourage them to in relate with one another, meeting together and learning with others to allow them to engage in discussion, to promote cooperation, 
and the gaining of new ideas and insights. And the third one is the practical work. The people that we trained, we don't just train them, we send them in the field to practice. So there is the practical work. This is an opportunity that is given to our students to practice their skills in their local congregation or their local community. For instance, those who have completed the course are given a chance to perfect and sharpen their skills. If they have been trained in counseling, they will be given a platform in the church. If they have been trained in preaching, they will be given a platform in the church to practice. And then that wins as the affirmation of their local pastors to trust them to work with them in their local ministries. So that's how we, we, we do our ministry to the church leaders and church members. Uh, thank you very much for, for sharing about that. I'm seeing that we're basically out of time. So I'd like to come to the closing. Um, one of the things I was reflecting on is if we have other pastors listening to you and they think, um, how can we get something like this started in our country? Um, maybe you have some some advice to share about what how they could think about that, um, whether it was officially theological education by extension as a as a program, or a new organization that was also working with different denominations to teach pastors and church members. Um, so please share with us about that if you have any advice for those listening. Uh, and then any other uh, last word that you have on this topic, and then we'll we'll bring it to a conclusion. I think my advice to church leaders, pastors, bishops, apostles, and all those that are listening is that uh, the most effective way to implement a successive program within our churches, within our fellowships, one is by networking with others. The Bible is very clear. We are each other's keeper and iron sharpens iron. You cannot succeed alone. You need others in order to support your ministry. If you look at the story of Moses, he needed the support of others to succeed. And so it is important for other church leaders in Africa and even beyond to consider building partnerships and networks. For example, we as T's have a network. We helped mentor a program in Congo in 2018. Today, Congo has a TEE program for Congo whose office is based in Ilumbumbashi under the auspices of the Anglican Church. And there are four denominations that have joined, including the Baptist Church. And we are mentoring them for the next three years. And TIS has secured funding to train them in the Langham preaching program for three years. Once we form these strong networks and strategic alliances as churches, as Christian organizations, we will be able to succeed. 
Thirdly, we don't need to be a copycat kind of ministry in as much as we can learn best practices from what others have done, but we should be able to contextualize our programs according to the needs of our individual uh, denomination. And that's the message I can give to I can give to pastors out there. Additionally, we need to think outside the box. I've always said you cannot do the same thing time and again and expect different results. Our TEE has advanced, for example, we have a network with the Shepherds Academy where pastors and church leaders can now access online bachelor's degree by the Oxford Center for Religious and Public Life through a partnership with the Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Cameroon. All these are ways of trying to make sure that ministry uh, is done in an innovative way. Ministry has creativity and to make people feel fully connected and passionate to what they are doing. So I think that's the message that I can give to the other pastors that are uh, that are listening out there, and it is stand ready to form networks and partnerships within Africa and beyond. And we are ready to offer our expertise and experience in managing a diversity of denominations for 44 years now. Thank you, Anton. Thank you very much. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for your great cooperation with so many different uh, types of churches and organizations. It's wonderful to hear about that networking. Be before we stop, can you share one or two uh, prayer requests that you have for yourself or for T's so that the people who are listening will be able to pray for you later? Uh, I think uh, my prayer request to members out there, brothers and sisters in the Lord, is to continue to pray for, for good health because managing this institution is not easy. We travel on the countryside where there is poor road network, poor internet. Uh, even the cost of maintaining our transport is very high. So it's not easy. We need divine protection. We need the grace of the Lord to, to lead us through wherever we go. We work in sometimes in areas where there is no comfort, but because we know we are not doing it for ourselves, but to the glory of God. But I also want to ask for your prayers. Pray for the ministry of tears that it may continue to grow that the Lord will continue to provide the resources for us to continue this ministry because this is a ministry that is very, very important, relevant to the growth of the Christian community in Zambia and beyond. So I think those are my prayer requests uh, to people that are listening. Thank you very much for sharing about that, Dennis. I will bring it to a stop here. Thank you for the conversation. And may the Lord bless you as you continue in this ministry. Thank you, Anton. It's been my pleasure. And may the Lord be with you always in all that you're doing.